are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Harmonic, sectional, dramatic. Daniel Zajcek is an American composer and video artist whose works have been described as both significant and unsettling. His creative output consists of installation and video art, as well as electronic, orchestral, operatic, and instrumental works. He studied composition and piano at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, electroacoustic music and composition at the University of North Texas, and received a doctoral degree in composition from Rice University's Shepherd School of Music. Presentations of his works have taken place throughout the United States, as well as Portugal, the Czech Republic, England, Cuba, Canada, China, and Taiwan. Daniel is also active as a performer of both the electric and acoustic bass, performing regularly with bluegrass, gospel, and rock ensembles. Danny Z! <laughs> How are you, man? I'm good. I'm doing very well here in uh, warm Houston. Nice warm winter here. I'm very jealous. We're like <laughs> rainy and disgusting and cold, and it's been cold and rainy and disgusting. So Okay. Uh, I miss Houston a lot. Yeah. Well, it's here. <laughs> it's ready. It's ready for you. It's here. You could always come back. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk about your uh, three pieces today. Uh, Punk Trunk Love, uh, your dissertation piece, which is the Grand Variations for Orchestra, and right. then your uh, your latest piece, Opera, Nothing in the Nothingness. And you wrote Punk Trunk Love in 2010, mm-hmm. your dissertation in 2012, and then this Nothing in the Nothingness opera is just last year. Right. So um, there, I want to kind of explore the chronological arc of your uh, of your composition here because i think there's something interesting that's going on but first let's start with punk trunk love so this is a piece for bass clarinet and electronics and the title punk trunk love yeah i keep saying truck punk (laughs) truck that's a hard title to say i've I've said it wrong each time i think punk truck love punk oh my god truck love yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna stumble over it each time. But it's, it's okay. punk truck love. What does that mean? Um, well, it was um there are kind of t- different layers. The obvious layer is there the sounds that I was dealing with were in the beginning are car sounds. Mm-hmm. And then also the opening statement by Carlos is kind of like a punk statement. At least that's the way yeah. I, I envisioned it. So that's sort of the punk and the truck. And the love It's like really distorted. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And then the love is the, um, you know, the final section, that uh-huh. sort of kind of sweet melody that comes mm-hmm. out of it. And it also is sort of loosely connected with that movie, Punch, Drunk, Love. The and, Adam Sandler movie, yeah. Yeah, the Adam Sandler movie, which has kind of a quirky kind of, there's like kind of violence in there, but it's also kind of yeah. a feel-good movie in some way. And it's also like a very visually stunning movie. Yes, you know that was um, uh, that was P.T. Anderson, right? Mm, I I think so. I don't remember. Yeah, that, yeah. And there, I remember like the, he kind of had these little scene breaks where it was just flashes of visual art, which was gorgeous, and that kind of makes its way into the uh, the visual aesthetic of the whole 
the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a cool movie. I need to watch that again. Anyway. Yeah, and I just I just remember that kind of quirkiness and I anyway, so that's that's kind of where the the title comes from. How did you write this? Um was this a collaborative effort with Carlos or was this kind of just you off on your own? Um no, it was originally I was trying to write a piece for Ben Mitchell. And then oh, okay. and then Ben got like tendonitis or something. Mm-hmm. And then so I was having problems kind of working with him. And I don't know. He, do you know you know Ben, right? Yeah, I know He's Ben. He's a super right. nice guy, but um somehow I couldn't I just wasn't getting the vibe that I I needed. And then I was kind of goofing around with Carlos. And this is Carlos Cordiero. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. Um, I was recording sounds because Ben couldn't really play his clarinet at the time. And I was in the studio at Rice and we were recording sounds and he was making these great sounds at the, that eventually became the opening of the piece. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so then after that, I, I guess it was a collaborative work. I just kind of took those sounds and I kind of started uh, building the the piece from it. And I wanted, I was really inspired by a certain bass clarinet piece, which I cannot remember the name, name of it by, um, Grisset. Mm-hmm. He has like a solo piece and it's really intense. Um, I didn't know it that well at that time. I just kind of heard it. And I'd always wanted to try and do kind of a, uh, um, information theory kind of piece where you take the material okay. and just kind of sit with it, kind of like he does in Les Espaces Acoustique. It just kind of comes again and again. I tried to do it in my master's with my master's thesis, um, but this time I was like, I'm going to really commit to it, which I do for the <laughs> opening section, and then I just right. go somewhere else. But um, To the love. <laughs> yeah. So um, Or the truck. So that's and once I once I made that first section, then I was like, well, I wanted to incorporate car sounds with it, and I really wanted to use a lot of metro sounds, sounds of the buses and those kind of things mm-hmm. in the city, and those kind of things, diesel sounds. But I was kind of lazy, and I so I just used my own car <laughs> <laughs> for a lot of them. But I did record, I did kind of walk around and do some field recording around the buses and things a little bit, and so you do hear kind of like the. Sound with their brakes releasing and those right. kind of things are part of it. Um, and then the last section, just kind of like it's kind of a it's in my creative process. Usually, I work really hard on the beginning of a piece, um, and or sometimes a, a particular section of the piece will be really clear to me, and then I'll just mm-hmm. work around it and um, to discover the other parts. So this one, I really started with the beginning. And uh, then I just kind of worked my way and I worked, started working in the computer with the sounds that I had recorded. And then I just started like, this was the first piece. Well, I don't know if it's the first piece, the second piece that I did for tape. The other one was a dinosaur for, for piano, which you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And um, so this was only my second electronics piece. And I sort of, and I took a, a sound of the clarinet and I put it in an instrument. And then I just started making the clarinet line over the electronics stuff. For the rest of Wait, it. this is only your second electronics piece? Yeah, it's only my second electronics piece with instrument, instrument and electronics. Oh, okay, okay, with instrument. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's <laughs> like wow. No, All right. no. <laughs> but um, are there are there live electronics on this as well? No, there's no. I no? I wanted to have like a wow. distortion pedal, but uh, yeah, because it really really sounds like there's distortion on 
car uh, on the clarinet at the very beginning. There's not. That's just him. That's him singing a note and while playing a note, and it's creating wow. that, that dissonance. But also, his reed was really acting up during the recording session, and so uh-huh. it made it like extra funky. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I wonder, like, if that's something you can actually request for the performer, like use kind of a, a bad, not read. so great read. <laughs> I think it was the humidity or something like that. You know how it is in Houston. I can't, yeah. I can't remember. I could ask, I'd have to ask Carlos, but I remember he was complaining about it. Like, but I'm then again, that kind of goes into that, that punk aesthetic of just like, you know, use what you've got. Right. Even if it, even if it's, you know, even if the guitar only has three strings on it or whatever, just play it. Right. And so this was also a kind of, so for Dinosaur, I used drum and bass. And for Punk Truck, I was kind of inspired by punk music in a way, you know, not completely directly, but like the attitude of punk music. Yeah. And uh, and so that was, these were kind of, I've always been thinking about how I can bring popular music into quote unquote classical music um, but not make it so direct. Right. So overt. So like, oh, we're now we're going to have the jazz section. You right. Know? <laughs> right. Exactly. Which I've heard before, but I think because it's, um, so this, you can see this trajectory, um, this continues in nothing in the nothingness. There's some of these elements, um, but they've been like sort of calmed down in a way or clar- right. clarified simplified Uh so i was i was you know you you were kind of talking about all of the the different sounds you're using and in the in the electronics and i thought that the sound of everything in this piece was like it was you had a a very cultivated sound palette to work with almost uh, you know almost kind of like the punch drunk love the visual palette that he was working with mm-hmm. you know and i was i was kind of wondering what was directing that sound the like collection of sounds or the the sound palette you know it, like for instance you know you didn't really do much with reverb and frequent listeners to this podcast know how <laughs> how much of a disdain i have for reverb right now but like it was all dry, it was all you know kind of dis- distorted. But like, what was kind of directing the the collection of sounds you were working with? Well, I think initially it was um, cre- You know, I, I work with the car sound, the sound of it turning over in a lot, and the door shutting, and then also turning it off, and where it kills the engine. That's sort of the mm-hmm. the sound world at the beginning. And then once the car actually starts running, and you get the revving of the in engine there then i added like some kind of resonator filter that then turns that into a harmonic structure Mm. um and then that's sort of when we sort of take our first steps away and then you start getting some of the bus sounds and things um things like that and then a car maybe kind of revving its engine that wasn't my car going you hear those sounds and so it sort of moves into a more exploratory kind of sound world um and when you were applying the filter to the to the engine and getting the harmonic you know the harmonic spectrum of that yeah did that kind of feed back into the clarinet part at all yes totally Ah, it was like so then I i found this great 
filter. And then I was like, okay, so well then that's going to tell me which notes I'm going to choose in the clarinet. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I, that happened in the, for the final section, I took some different chords, whatever, and I fed them through another filter that's like, um, it was sort of like a granular thing that comes with, uh, it doesn't matter, but for the geeks out, <laughs> for the geeks out there, it was something that, um, what is it? Sound hack? The guy who made oh, yeah, sound hack, yeah, yeah. he had like a set of filters and this uh-huh. one, I was finally able to get something good out of it. And it turned into this kind of like energetic kind of sound world there. Yeah. Um, and then I, I heard all these different sonorities in the, in that part. And then I made like a clarinet part that was like with chords and everything mm-hmm. that go, went along with it. And then there's the clarinet line above it. And all of both okay. of those things are going through that granular filter. So it's like got a accompanimental harmonic bed that right, then I right, just right. kind of like improvised over to find that sort of quasi jazzy closing. Yeah, man. Yeah. But I don't know if that really answered your question. I, your question was a really good question, but I don't think I had a really good answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> About the sound palette? Yeah. No, I mean... I mean, I think that like I, I refine my sounds in the beginning. A lot of times I'll just play with them. And I'm sure you probably do this, too. Like when mm-hmm. you get your sounds, you you kind of find what's the good ones in there or the ones yeah. that you know that you want to use. And then you make them into the things and then you kind of put them in there where that's the right spot. And then once they're in, in the spot, then that kind of changes your piece a little bit. Right. Yeah. And then you have to deal with that, how that works. And so. So in a way, I, I knew I wanted to use car sounds. That was sort of my dominant sound mm-hmm. or automobile, those kind of things. And uh, then I there's also some other sounds that just was like a coin. I spun it on my desk. There's mm-hmm. a point in there where there's that. And then like some like, I don't know. I can't. I mean, it's been a while now, but I think there was like some paper kind of sounds, rocking sounds. Right. Yeah. Right but up. all like very short, dry. Yeah. I mean, it gives it definitely gives the piece a an identity just based off of just based off of the the sounds and and also the gestures. I mean, the clarinet gestures are, you know, they're these like short, quick, like really active gestures, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. In addition to those just like in your face growling, you know, or clarinet screaming or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It definitely has an identity. So we're going to listen to it now. And this is Carlos Cordero playing punk truck love. Yes, got it.
your grand variations. This was your dissertation piece. And I've actually had a bunch of other uh, Rice graduates uh-huh. on the podcast. And, uh-huh. and we, I think all of us maybe have talked about our dissertation pieces. Okay. I mean, because why not? You know, sure. it's it's performed by Shepard. You know right. you're going to get a great recording yeah. and everything. So uh, the question has always been, like, what was that time like for you when you were writing your dissertation? Were you also teaching at that point? When I was writing the dissertation? Like, yeah. no, I, I wasn't. Um, okay. I was, well, I was in Montana for a while when I started writing it. Uh-huh. And uh, which I staunchly avoided working on it in some ways. Not that I didn't want to, but I was also preparing for my my exams at that yeah. time when I first started it. Um but I had this I had an idea and I read um that silly book by Stephen Hawking which is called A Grand Design or something like that. It was kind of a recent book that he did with this other guy and it's sort of okay. he's trying to come up with his theory of everything, sort of, sure. you know, a physical model that would explain, unite all of these worlds. And so there were some cool things that I learned in there about physics or, and uh, so I, and I've always been interested in, you know, the cosmos and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be kind of cool to name my variations and use it sort of as an inspirational guide, thinking about the birth of the universe and that kind of stuff. And so that's where the okay, grand variations wow. comes right. from. So, yeah. so um, when it, when it starts, you get the theme um, mm-hmm. in the, in a fugal flugel horn, um, which was going to be just a cornet, but how, um, art told me I should write it with flugel horn instead. So, um, but anyway, whatever. Was there, I mean, <laughs> Well, I was going to use uh, a cornet because that's what I played. Yeah. I played my mom's cornet when I was in middle school in jazz band corn- and stuff. Is cornet more of a of, of a band instrument? Is that the reason why? I think cornet, and yeah, it's just less common, you yeah. know. And I just liked it because it has a little bit more mellow sound than your yeah. Um, but I and then the orchestra I borrowed from. Uh, Tarangalila Symphony. I just tried to like because that was such a that's such a great piece. Mm-hmm. Not that I wrote anything like it, but um, I just like all the brass and everything in there. So um, it starts with the the variation, which is just in the in that uh, flugelhorn, and then um, the next movement, the ne- or the first variation is really long and drawn out and kind of pointillistic. Um, I'm going to start talking bad about my piece. You'll have to be careful because this is not, I don't, I don't know how you, you felt. I know I heard a lot of great things about your dissertation and I haven't heard it yet, but um, this was really my first orchestra piece. And uh, so some things turned out really well. Some things yeah. were, you know, whatever, maybe a little half-assed or I don't know <laughs> would, what would be the correct way to, to, uh, to say it. But, you know, I, sometimes I, I felt like I couldn't really imagine what I wanted. And so I just tried to put something down, mm-hmm. you know? Well, the first variation is kind of like a, uh, um, Klongfarben thing, yes. right? Yes, exactly. And you, are you taking the, it's it seems like the the melody is just drawn out is that right that's it yeah 
the thing I was kind of hearing, and without the score, you know, I can't, I, I, I don't know, but I think I kind of heard that you were taking that uh, those uh, melody fragments and then make turning them into harmonies. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. And that's like uh, the second or the third variation, maybe. The second variation is um, where I take um, notes of the melody, and then they become they come really fast. It becomes like rhythmicized, uh-huh. and then there's then they're alternated with big cluster chords in the oh, ensemble. Okay, okay. So it's more like a percussion percussive kind of rendition of the melody. And then the third one, which is Stardust Memory, uh huh, I think is what I call it. It's a very seventies title, and uh, billions, yes, billions and billions. billions. And that one's more. That was more of a free variation where I kind of took the theme and then I re kind of composed it in a viola melody. When you were talking about your like percussive uh, chords, yeah, you know where you had clusters above that. Is that kind of coming from your interest in Grise? Um, or is that directly from Messian? Because I, I could see like you know your. I mean, kind of orchestrating as if you are filling out a percussive spectrum. Uh-huh. Was that in your mind or or is it just... Well, to be honest, what I was trying to do was to think about each note of the melody as if it was like a particular sound space or a sound object, which is from uh-huh. uh, Varese's, one of Varese's words. Right. And that was my hope initially was that I could turn these different sound objects into sort of like separate sound areas, which I never really, I don't feel like I ever really achieved, but uh, that was sort of, that's sort of where I was going with it. And I was trying to, I thought, because he can do, um, Varez can do this so well, he can create like a iconic thing that's like an object that you'll hear it again and it can transform, but you still recognize it as being the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so... He's kind of a badass. Yes, he is. And so <laughs> that was really... Um, that was one of the things that I had I tried to do and, and failed. But, you know, my failure became <laughs> my... It, it became my own music, which is the way I kind of see my music as being anyways, is that sometimes I'm trying to do something that's not me... You know, I'm putting on somebody else's clothing, but right. then when it comes through me, it becomes something else. And yeah. which is, I think, actually, as composers in general, a lot of times maybe you get frustrated because you can hear in your mind this thing that you want it to be, but it's the thing that comes out is not that. Mm-hmm. And so you can be frustrated with that instead of accepting it and as you and just going with it. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've been uh, actually within the last like couple of years. That's kind of been a thing for me is like I, I have these two pieces that I'm thinking about right now. One is uh, At Water's Edge for violin percussion. And then another one is Beneath There is Stirring where I took the complete At Water's Edge piece and then like uh, Barrio, you know, made a made an ensemble around it. OK, you know, uh huh. And those two pieces, I loved the ideas for those pieces. But when it came out, like sound-wise, I'm just like, 
and I'm I'm still kind of grappling with is this me? You know, is this did I go did I let the ideas erase my own like musical identity or in doing that what I would think is erasing like the past uh-huh my my past musical identity is that now my new musical identity sure i don't know it's well yeah yeah i i totally hear you and i think you know these are all questions that we we as composers have for ourselves yeah. right but um i think that um honestly we shouldn't be concerned with these things that we should really, it's not important where we are in our process, but that we just keep making things. And right. that I think that's really, the thing is that we're, because we don't have a common practice to sort mm-hmm. of rely on. And so we really don't know <laughs> what our music <laughs> is in a way. Yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah, if you just look at all the music that's out there, there's so many influences that we could Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then at a certain point, you just have to say, "Well, I'm gonna just write music, and then whatever happens." That's that. It, it's always it's always this idea of you know, you you can't be concerned with writing a masterpiece. You just have to be concerned with making a piece. Right, and but it it's never like you have to do that every piece though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's exhausting. It's the thing. It's like, and so and. Yeah. Anyway. The fifth variation. In your email to me, you kind of talked about in you know, when we were thinking about which pieces we were gonna um we were gonna talk about today. Yeah. And some of the other pieces, you kinda talked about this uh simplifying uh-huh. As you as you go as we've gotten closer and closer to the present. Yeah. You know, simplifying materials and that harmonically lush section was that kind of a a step in that direction for you of simplifying materials because i'm not saying that the harmonic materials are simple but i i guess they're they're clear Mm -hmm. you know where in in the uh in the percussive thing you know you have all these clusters and and things like that that are kind of you know making the sounds very complex but then you get to this this part and you're right it does you know it does remind you of older music like Scriabin or it has that that like sheen of Mendelssohn on it Mm -hmm. you know so I'm wondering was this section a step in that direction and and have you continued on that path you know I think it in a way it was it was kind of a scary one for me to write because it was just abashedly I was going to write some pretty music Right. Yeah. That's and which is something you know that and because ever since I played this set of variations by Mendelssohn, there was a particular one that always was in my brain, and so I was mm-hmm. like, I gotta write something in homage to that that piece, and so that's okay. kind of where it, it came from. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's definitely, you know, and me just hearing that, how beautiful it sounds. You know, when you hear that, just it's like, well, why wouldn't you want to write more music like that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I could. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think it's given, given me a little bit more confidence to go ahead and do that. Why not? Right. Yeah. I but, always remember, um, actually, I wasn't even there, but it's the story has just been very famous of 
And I'm not sure if this was, I think it was during your time, and I won't mention the composer's name, but we had a guest composer in at Rice for, you know, a, 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 a seminar. Composer for, yeah, a seminar. Yeah. And he was talking about, like, someone, his style was, you know, very, you know, you could just call it tonal. Uh-huh. And he was and he was writing these big pieces and he was getting a lot of performances and a lot of acclaim. And I think someone in the seminar pushed him and s- said, well, you know, what about what about this? What about that? And he, I, again, I wasn't there, so I only know the story from the people that were there. But I, he got like really flustered and said, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can write ugly music if I have to. And I was <laughs> I. <laughs> It just always seems like there's there's that kind of distinction for some composers like, well, I'm going to write this ugly music because I need to or I'm going to write this pretty music because I need to. Sure. But I think that I think that yours, I mean, in this piece in in the clarinet piece and in the piece we're going to listen to last, I think there's kind of a it's not a binary distinction. You're kind of traversing a spectrum you know from or or not maybe not a spectrum but a continuum you know on one side you've got this and on the other side you've got that and your music kind of lives kind of swaying back and forth between those between those two those two poles but the music lives in the middle Mm -hmm. okay yeah I, i can see that yeah i know what you're saying and i've always been interested i used to my bio used to say um, I'm a composer who does beauty and bizarre, something like that was in my bio. Uh-huh. That was the kind of things I was interested in. So I've always been, and I've always been interested in um, filmmakers like David Lynch, who give mm-hmm. you something that's very accessible, but then there's like a, something's been twisted a little bit off. Right, yeah. About it. And so that, that little offness has always been interesting to me and what, what that does to you know and like how would you how do you do that in music i don't know well that's what you're that's what you're finding out right? yeah i think so yeah i think that's what i'm trying to explore so now we're going to listen to the grand variations and this is the shepherd school symphony orchestra uh who's conducting jerry ho is conducting
So let's talk about uh, the last piece, Nothing in the Nothingness. And this is an okay. opera for bass voice, video, and then also an ensemble. The ensemble, what, what instruments are in the ensemble? There's um, alto, saxophone, um, electric guitar, piano, and cello, and drum set. This, and this, can you kind of describe the story before we before we get into the music? Yeah, well, um, just the sort of synopsis is that this guy, um, a, a man, is involved in a boating accident, or he drowns, and he's unconscious. He's, he's without oxygen for a certain amount of time. And so when he, when he, uh, when they take him and out of the water, he's in a coma. And so he's in the hospital, basically in a coma for the, for the piece, but we're inside his head. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what you see on the stage is uh, a hospital bed behind him with a body in it. And then, um, which he stands in front of, and then there's, um, projections and there are, there are four different, uh, monitors and they sort of represent different parts of his, um, consciousness. I think you might say sort of one is outdoor scenes of nature and things sort of, I guess the outside world. Mm -hmm. And then there's one, which is just uh, a hand and then another hand clutching that hand, like in the hospital bed. Because oh. his, uh, the part of the story is that he, they pull him out. The lifeguards pull him out, but his girlfriend drowns. Well that, yeah, they don't really say that they ever found her. So right. she could have drowned or she could have been rescued. We don't know for sure, but most oh, likely she drowned. Okay. All right. Um, most likely she did. Um, and so then, then there's another one, which is just different colors, which I think is like emotion. That's the way I, I think that one. And then the last one is static and it pulses like the heart monitor. It's okay. Like a pulsing static screen. Um, in addition to that, every once in a while, um, a nurse will show up on the, all of the screens or on some of them and, uh, she will talk to you and she will she tells you about an un, what it's like to be in an unconscious state and then sometimes she'll appear and she will be a little bit different her hair will be down um and you may not hear her talk or you may hear her say the same things as earlier but she doesn't look quite the same um and this happens periodically and then the structure of the piece sort of alternates between him being in this state where he's trying to go through these routines of raising his arms, breathing in and out, the stuff that the nurse would be doing with him in the bedroom. Right. Um, and that music tends to be more rigid, more um, uh, rhythmic, pulsing. And then there's these moments where he gets and goes into sort of like memory land where he does start to remember things. And those are more lyrical right. kind, of, kind of sections. And so it kind of alternates between these two worlds. And then in the end, he invariably has to decide what, how he's going to deal with this. And uh, in, the, in the libretto, it kind of puts him, he's like, you know, kind of giving up is the mm -hmm. way it's put in the libretto. But I thought, you know what, let's make this different. And so I made it sort of triumphant at the end where he's instead of giving up, he's giving away. He's just letting go and just right, letting it yeah. be. Yeah. 
and uh, on stage, all the the screens, all the monitors go to white, and then the whole screen eventually goes to white, and then he kind of disappears through that screen at mm-hmm. the end. One of the things you mentioned to me before before this is that this pe- when you were writing this piece, you had you had a number of people around you die while you were writing this piece. So yeah, I mean what that that clearly kind of made its way into this. Yeah, I mean, there were some people who, you know, some people I knew pretty well, um, and some people I knew, but I didn't know them that well, but they were kind of important in some way to me. Yeah. And uh, it was just really intense to think about. Um, and I really felt like one particular person was Ethan Green. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember that day, like when everyone found out that Ethan had died, and you, you obviously knew Ethan better than I did because Ethan, I think he left. He he left with uh, with Ken, with Ken, right? Yeah. So we didn't overlap at all. But he went to UT Austin, so we were seeing him at Latex, and, right. you know, hanging yeah. out and. There was clearly that connection, so I became, you know, sort of friendly with Ethan. Uh-huh. And but I didn't know him very well. He was really becoming quite successful, and he was just a very unique yeah. person. Oh, oh, yes. very funny. Um, had a great attitude, um, and and inspiring, I think. And I felt like, well, um, I wanted to, you know, sort of this piece is if he since he couldn't write any more music mm-hmm. i was gonna make sure i did my darndest to try and write keep writing music for ethan right in a way that was just one thing but just all the other creative people that i knew had also left the world there was a line and we're we're only going to listen to the the first half of the piece it's about a 35 minute piece yeah, that's and we're gonna right listen to the first like major well is what the the half that you gave me is that a major uh sectional divide yeah it is it's i kind of stopped it right at a certain point um you get the introduction uh um and then you get the first sort of really it's the big aria of the first part where it's which i call two men sailing where he remembers what happened and then it's sort of then you get him pulled out of that world back into the mechanical machines controlling his breathing and everything world. So you get sort of the juxtaposition of these worlds. Right. There was a line, and now, and unfortunately now I can't remember it, um, but it was really, <laughs> let, me, let me go and see if I, uh, sorry, well, buddy. Well, what I should say is that, you know, this, this um, libretto I got from John because he helped me direct Portrait TV Man, which I know you helped record. And he um, and this is and this is John Grimmett. John Grimmett, yeah. He he gave me that libretto like two years before I started writing the piece. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, you know, he gave me the libretto and I read it and I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, I had some sort of misgivings about it a little bit, which is just normal. And um, I didn't do anything with it because also I didn't have a reason to write it. Nobody's, nobody was going to put it on. 
Right, yeah. Yeah, and um, even though as much as I really wanted to write another opera, because I really liked that, um, and then this opportunity came up, and immediately I was like, I'm going to write this piece for it. And so I did it, and then we rewrote it quite a bit. And the stuff that's like the beautiful remembery, remembery stuff was not in there originally. That was okay. added later on, and we sort of created this other world for the man. He sort of came to life as a real sort of person at that point. And uh, John, though, he's great. I mean, and that the collaboration was really good. Man, I really want to remember this, this line. The thought of escaping. Yes. Had soon been forgotten. Yeah, it was something, it was something about that. Or, yeah. Or. Well, that's, yeah. that is a line from the, the opera, the thought of escaping. But that's later on. I don't think you got that part. Mm. Let me see if I can. Am I just a thought? Just a thought. That's what he says a lot. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that in and of itself is a is a very poignant line. Like to think about when you're when you don't have the use of your body anymore. What are you? Yeah. You know, because the the man is talking about remind the brain. You yes. know. Tell the brain to remember, you know, uh-huh. where, where is, where are you in that? Because, you know, <laughs> right. you think that, well, I'm coming from, I know that my brain is creating these thoughts. So where, if I am not in the brain, where am I? You know, it's, it's, it's a really kind of like when, when your when your physical body is no, no longer able to, you know, function in a way Mm -hmm. but you are still alive where are you right that was a really interesting thought for me while listening to this yeah yeah john did a really good job it's a very cool idea that he had yeah with with the piece i mean i remember just we we met at dirk's coffee which is no longer in existence oh really yeah i know it's now it's like anyway i don't even want to talk about it (laughs) so sad um but um (laughs) <laughs> anyway, um, that was the place that we met. And I remember when we were talking about it, I was like, we were trying to, he's like, well, so what are you into? What kind of writers do you like? You know, I just told him some of the, the writers that I like. And then he just went off and wrote it. I didn't give him any guidelines or anything. And then this is what came back, this this thing. Wow. Yeah, which is really cool. And the so. line that I was trying to remember, which which you you actually found, what and talk about that line about the escaping and the thought and, adventure. and the thought of escaping promised an adventure, and that's sort of when he's he's remembering going out on the boat, right? Yeah, and then and when says, I was listening to this, yeah, okay, I interpreted that as thinking about death, okay. The thought of escaping, escaping my body, promises uh, an adventure. Okay. Yeah. So not having, like, not having the words in front of me, I totally interpreted that as something else. But in a way, I think it works to the greater narrative of the story. Oh, sure. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Double yeah. meaning. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so th- this was... Uh, premiered this just this past uh well a year ago in a year ago and yeah in february actually in february 
fifth. That's right, because you were you were doing I this when I was in Houston, and I was leaving like right before it was going to happen, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who is the who's the singer we're going to hear for, in this performance? This is Alex Rosen, and he was a Rice student, and I just I got connected to him through Chris Besh. Do you know this guy? Yeah, yeah, I know Chris. Yeah, Chris Besh. He gave me like. Some names, and two of them I used for Portrait TV, Brian Shercliffe, and uh, I can't remember the other name right off the top of my head, but then Alex was the other one, and Alex was a bass, and yeah. I was like, oh, oh, that's cool. And so then I listened to one of his recitals that he had done at Rice, and you know, most of the music was, you know, not American music, but the last song that he did was English, and it was an American composer. And as soon as I heard him singing the English language, I was like, that's the guy. He's that's the guy, the guy that right. I, I got to use him. And I've just been blown away with him. He has yeah. an amazing voice. Yeah, um, he, great, great voice. Yeah, and he's just a super nice guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And we became good friends, and... It's just been, yeah, it's really cool. I'm writing a song cycle for him that's coming up. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, it's cool. So we're going to hear the first half. This is Nothing in the Nothingness. Tragedy at the beach today. Police believe a man was pulled into a riptide after he and his girlfriend went swimming at the Rosemary Road Beach around 2 p.m. Lifeguards said they were cautioning swimmers to stay close to shore because of unusually strong undercurrents and high waves, which had been plaguing area beaches since mid-afternoon. Despite warnings, the man and his girlfriend waded into the surf when both of them were pulled underwater. Lifeguards had difficulty returning to shore after rescuing the man and estimate he spent almost 12 minutes underwater without oxygen. Officials then re-entered the water to rescue the woman, but were unable to find her, police said. The man is in critical condition in the hospital. An unconscious state can last longer than a few weeks. Some level of consciousness is present as long as there is breath, though perhaps minimal consciousness or severely altered consciousness. More or less aware at any one time of what is happening. More aware and less aware, like all of us. Possible? More aware than less. Oh, <laughs> 
then the eyes nothing Just a thought. the last question that i always ask all the all the people that i have on the podcast and that is how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life man that's um (laughs) a kind of well let's say um when i was young i was singing in choir at church in children's choir and we had a really good children's direct choir director and she put on these little musicals and I got to do some solos and things like that. So I got to sort of start expressing myself that way. I had a really good um, music teacher in elementary school, uh, an African-American woman. Um, she was, you know, exposed us to a lot of things and always had a singing, doing a lot mm-hmm. of solfege and stuff. And uh, so, and my mom and dad were both loved music both of them are scientists, but my mom sang in the choral union and they did Carmina Burana. Mm, and yeah. like, I remember hearing that piece for the first time when I was like, you know, six or something like that. And just like, Oh man, I, that piece was awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was so yeah. cool. And, uh, I made up my own words to it. And then I, I took some piano lessons with a graduate student and it didn't wait, really wait, click. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Do you remember any of the words you made up? Oh, well, there was one of them like Fred Flintstone. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. I kind of, you know, it's like, but I had words to all of the, you know, like O Fortuna. I had stuff that I made up. I don't remember them all, but I know Fred Flintstone was one of the lyrics <laughs> for, for one of them, for sure. I know that. Fred Flintstone and, rocks. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but um, I had a little Casio keyboard that my grandma had gotten me, a little white one that was like probably like an octave and a half. Mm-hmm. And I would play yeah. all the themes from Carmina Burana on that thing going okay. around the house. And, you know, I took piano with a graduate student, I was starting to say, and... Uh, that didn't, we didn't really click. 
you know? And so, but then we had a piano at home and I sort of like was banging on the piano and I was taught myself how to do different things with both my hands. Mm -hmm. And in the process, I like composed a piece of music that I could play with my two hands, you know, that was like a thing. And, uh, and I made up a few different things. And when my sister went to have piano lessons, the piano teacher asked if, me or my brother were also interested and I said yeah and I went up there and I played my pieces for her and then she um, was like okay well you got to take piano lessons with me and she was really good she encouraged me to keep composing and like every piano recital I had a piece on it that was my own music and she was like so because when we come down recital time she'd be like so what's are you going to have another piece here and she taught me how to write everything down she taught me about music theory and everything, I mean, I really credit, credit a lot of that to her, um, you know, pushing me and my parents not letting me give up right, on, yeah. on music, you know. Um, and there, I mean, there's a lot of other paths to it. And when I really decided, um, I don't know when it was. When I remember it was my senior year and I was thinking, uh, I really want to be an astronaut, and i remember that and my mom's like you don't want to be an astronaut she's like and and you know so then i went i applied to some schools i think i applied to eastman but i didn't really i was such a slacker i didn't really fill out my application properly but i did the audition and everything and then i applied to um kansas city and to be for composition and i got into kansas city of course i didn't get into eastman and uh then um that was, that's a whole other story. And there's a long story that I could tell you about when I really decided, but I think it wasn't until I wrote this piece, Nothing in the Nothingness, that I really decided this is, I'm, I've done it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write music. Can you believe it? Like I went through all this schooling and I didn't ever really, I was never really committed to it. Right. Well, you've always kind of had your, you know, feet in, you know, film and visual art and you've always kind of had fingers in different different places and interests in different things but that's you know when you said uh in in kind of the notes you wrote to me about this piece when you said i'm gonna write this piece and then decide if i ever write music again i was like oh my god wow so clearly the decision is yes you're gonna continue writing music yeah i mean yeah, that I after I finished it and it was really successful. Um, yeah, I I but to but there must have been something about the process of writing this piece that kind of re-energized you. Oh yeah, because like I, at that time I was I didn't really have a I don't have a, a job. I was just freelancing, teaching private lessons at home, doing some recordings here and there. Um, I you know, get a little bit of money playing with this bluegrass group, playing bass with them. But otherwise, I was at home. Shalon had a full-time job in a suburb of Houston. And so she was gone all day and Mia's at school. So I had like all day to just kind of, I could work, I could compose yeah, all day. And I'd never really, I mean, maybe I did have some of that time when I was in school, but I didn't take advantage of it quite like <laughs> I should have. You know, which I always, I'm always like, now I look back and I was like, why wasn't I just studying these things? Why wasn't I doing this stuff? Whatever. You know, that's just the way it yeah. is, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, so now, so then I had this time and I really got it into it and I spent it 
just working. And I got so into that flow of creating music. And I realized this is when I'm really happy is mm-hmm. when I'm making this stuff. And uh, then then to have the performance was just like, you know, it was really great. It was so not that I expect all my performances or all my pieces to be like that, but the the part that's really the best part is the making of the music to experimenting with the ideas and trying trying to do something. And it's something I think that I can do, you know, and that I can do well enough that people generally like what I'm doing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I'm successful and I don't I don't feel as comfortable with other things like Right now I'm teaching music theory at Lee College and I don't feel like great about that. <laughs> you know, I feel okay right, and I'm yeah. teaching like American music, but I feel like when I'm writing my music, it, there's, you know, that one of the beauties about being uh, any kind of creative person is that you, there's not really rules in a way. Yeah. They're just the rules that you put out for yourself. The things that, so you can, you can feel kind of free in that. Well, and sometimes like creating those rules for yourself is like part of the the joy of right. creating, you know? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's awesome to hear, man. Like I'm yeah, I'm I'm glad that you had that experience of like kind of getting getting, you know, re-jazzed about music because I mean I think it's really good. And it'd be a shame if you stopped. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear that. Um, yeah. So yeah. uh before we go, where can people find you online in the various uh various platforms? Well, you can find me on uh YouTube. I have a YouTube page where you can see some of my older like my video stuff. I've posted some uh performances there. Um, you can find me on Vimeo. I have some video art there. And you can find me at my website, which is just my name, Daniel Zajek. Not Danny Daniel Z. Zajek. Yeah, not Danny, Danny Z. Danny Z. Um, but it's uh, danielzajek.com. Um, and it, then you can find me are you on, Twitter? on SoundCloud. Huh? Am I on Twitter? Are you on, are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter, yeah. I haven't friended Donald Trump yet. And... <laughs> You know what? Oh my god! Or whatever okay. it's called on Twitter. So I was I was on my Twitter yesterday, and I was I was just scrolling through my feed, and I saw this thing from Donald Trump, and I'm like, "What the hell? I don't fucking follow that that asshole." <laughs> and I then I looked, and I was like, "Retweeted by President Donald Trump," and I was like, "Wait, why am I seeing shit? He has at POTUS. Well, unfollow." <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, what are you what are you on Twitter? What's your handle? Oh, it's just it's I think it's Dan's eye check on Twitter. At Dan's Yeah, at Dan's eye check. There is there are right. a few Daniel's eye checks out there in the world. And really? one time I did a Google search, an image image search, and there was a guy in a gimp outfit. <laughs> I swear it wasn't me. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I don't I know. Know. Can you prove it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much for doing this, yeah, you're Dan. Welcome. Thank you so much for doing this for all the composers out there. It's really a great thing, a great service. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.